You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Uh, Through the book of Acts, and this is part two that I've entitled, Why Wait? Why Wait? What is the draw of the church? And I'll even ask you specifically, if you're a part of Mount Carmel Baptist Church, what drew you to this church in particular? Is it excellent programming? I'm not saying that we have it. I'm just asking if that's what you view. Is it the latest technology? Is it the best management techniques? I know I can do better. Is it impressive building facilities? I do love our sanctuary. Many people come to church attracted by these kinds of things. But shouldn't the church be quite different from a festival or a concert or a sporting event? I believe we should do everything wholeheartedly as to the Lord. If we're going to have a program, we should do it with excellence. If we're going to have a building, we should maintain it impressively. However, a biblical church, a church that's established according to the principles of the New Testament, it exists for something more. And we cannot accomplish what the mission or the purpose of the church is without something more, or should I say, without someone else. Someone once said that 95% of what happens in many evangelical churches could be done without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit. That's antithetical. The opposite of what the New Testament teaches us about how church is to be carried out. In the book of Acts, the author or writer of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke's a medical doctor and he is a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Acts and he also wrote the Gospel of Luke which bears his name. The book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote about the visible earthly ministry of Jesus, our blessed Lord and Savior and God. Now in the book of Acts... Jesus, we'll see through Acts chapter 1, will ascend back to the Father, and then He will pour out the Holy Spirit onto His apostles. And Jesus' work will carry on, even though uh, He is in heaven, He will invisibly carry on His work through the Holy Spirit and through the apostles and the early church believers on the earth. So much power will be endued on the early church, that the gospel, the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, died for our sins, suffered and sacrificed His life so that we can be forgiven and that God raised Him for our forgiveness and to grant us eternal life in Jesus' name. That that gospel message in a brief time, in one generation, will go from Jerusalem to the epicenter of Rome. 
The apostles know their commission. They know their task is to spread and proclaim the gospel. They are ready, set, go in Acts chapter 1. And yet, the risen Jesus tells them, wait, wait. Don't go yet. Don't leave Jerusalem yet. And there's a simple question I want us to explore this morning. Why wait? Why wait? Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 4. It says this, While he, and that's in reference to Jesus, the risen Jesus, was with them, the apostles, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. The very first thing that I want you to see is what are we waiting for? Why wait? Is number one, they're waiting to receive the Father's promise. To receive the Father's promise. Now, this is not the first time that Luke has recorded for us an instance in which Jesus has spoken about the Holy Spirit with regard to the Father's promise. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus said this, And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. And he's going to explain that a little bit more. As for you, stay in the city, and notice this, until you are empowered from on high. The Father's promise, and you can write this down, is the empowerment from the Holy Spirit. God the Father promised this, this empowerment from the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Listen to who the Father promised. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 through 34, Notice what the God of Israel says to the nation of Israel who will eventually bless the world, the Gentile people, including everyone. It says this, verse 33, Instead, this is the covenant, this is the relationship, the agreement that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. One other scripture reference along the same vein, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27, God says this, I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Here is what the Holy Spirit is doing in this new covenant, this new relationship or agreement with the people of God who repent of their sins and trust God's Son, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, is that the Holy Spirit comes to them and regenerates them, brings them back to spiritual life. We are all dead to God in sin and trespasses and iniquities. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings us new life that we could have never had. 
And he begins in us this lifelong process of making us holy, of conforming to the Word of God, of obeying the example and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. This is a gift from God that he creates a new heart in us and gives us a willingness, a longing, and a power to obey and please him. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot do that. We will remain under the judgment and discipline of God. But God's not finished with just this sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. He also says this in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. So notice again, he, the covenant includes the nation of Israel and all peoples. It's both, both and. It says, then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. There is no respecter of persons. Anyone can receive the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. But in particular, what I want to point out about the empowerment just like the other verses talk about an empowerment to be sanctified, to be made holy, to be conformed to the word and will of God, this empowerment also includes a, a, a gift or a power to proclaim the word of God, to prophesy, to preach effectively. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates the church and works in every repentant believer to serve Jesus and serve others, especially through gospel proclamation, telling others that Jesus died for their sins so that they can be forgiven and God raised them from the dead to grant forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit lives in you to enable you to change your life, all right, with His power, with His help, with His strength to do something you cannot do by yourself, and then not only that, to instill in you power to witness and share the gospel message. So one of the reasons that Jesus tells them, wait in Jerusalem because you're not empowered yet from the Spirit is because He's saying, wait to receive this. Wait to receive what the Father has promised. But there's a second thing here. Notice what he said. It's not just what the Father promised. He says, which he said, Jesus said, you have heard me speak about. You've heard me speak about this promise, the Holy Spirit. And so number two, why wait? We not only wait to receive the, the Father's promise, but we wait to receive who was spoken of by the Son, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the Son of God, taught ex extensively about the Holy Spirit during His last week prior to His crucifixion. And this, you can find His teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's pretty much spread throughout John 14 through John 16. Now, I do not have time when I'm preaching now all the way to when you'll view this to go through John 14 through 16. I want to just take one verse and highlight it. I'm not trying to pigeonhole it. This does not exhaust the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I think it's one of the, the more succinct definitions of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the world. Notice what it says in John 16, 8. This is Jesus teaching us, speaking to us about 
who the Holy Spirit is and what He has come to do. It says, when He comes, in reference to the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, conviction, we generally have a negative connotation of it. But the idea of conviction is, is simply to point out the truth. To point out the truth. Now, the truth can hurt sometimes, and that's why conviction has a negative connotation. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has been poured out to minister to the world, to point out the, tr- the truth of three things. And, you can, and this does a good job of summing up, of course, what the Spirit is doing in the world. He is pointing out the truth of our sin. You're a sinner and I am a sinner. We are criminals. We are rebels against the Most High God. We are children of wrath. We deserve judgment and hell forever. We are God's enemies. That's how God views us. And yet we cannot be convinced of that truth apart from the supernatural aid of the Holy Spirit where He finally he puts that, that finger on your nose and He goes, I'm talking to you that you have rebelled against the Most High God. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us and points out the truth of our sin. But then not only that, He points out the truth of righteousness. Now, what I believe this is, it's not that we are righteous in and of ourselves. I think He points to the truth of the righteousness of Jesus, that Jesus was righteous. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So I think He points at you and says, you're a sinner, and then the Holy Spirit points at the cross and say, Jesus, the righteous one, died on your behalf. And then the third thing is we see is that He convicts us of judgment. Every one of us who's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, also comes under this, is that one day we will stand before the holy, righteous judge, King Jesus, and give an account of our life and what we did with Christ. Did we repent and believe Him and trust Christ alone for salvation? To rest fully upon Him? To to expiate, to escape the wrath of God? Or... Are we going to have to give an account to Him that we rejected Him? And the Holy Spirit is making that truth known to us right now in our time, in our day. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You say, now why does the Holy Spirit have to do that? Can humans not just reason that out? Can we not just think about that logically? Can we not just look at the world, see its mess, see its brokenness, and say, we must be sinners... There must be help somewhere because it will one day be everlasting too late. We will not. The Bible affirms over and over again that you and I are sinners to the point that we can never figure that out without supernatural intervention. In Romans chapter 3, this is God's special revelation to disclose His work in our lives. It says in Romans chapter 3 verse 11, There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. We may think we're seeking God. We have no clue until the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life and bring us to those convictions. John 1.13 says, Who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. It's God's will to bring uh, us to Him. We cannot bring ourselves to God. We cannot take a step 
rightly in his direction. No person has ever gotten up and said, you know what, today I think I'll ask Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. No person's ever done that. No person's ever woken up and said, today I repent of my sin and only trust Jesus alone as my forgiver and God. Today I will escape the judgment of Jesus. Nobody does that without the aid of gospel proclamation and alongside of that, the Holy Spirit working through that gospel proclamation to bring us to the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Whether you were at a church meeting or gathering, you're on social media today, or someone told you the gospel, a friend maybe, it is the Holy Spirit who ultimately is responsible for bringing you to Jesus. No human can do that. We are mere instruments, tools, and vessels by which the Holy Spirit works to touch hearts and change lives. But if you want to thank the person that brought you to salvation, then you need to get on your knees and thank the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can open cold, dead hearts to come alive and receive Jesus' forgiveness. Why were the apostles told to wait? Because they needed to receive the Father's promise and they needed to receive who was spoken of by the Son. But Jesus isn't finished. Let's look at Acts 1.5. It says this, For John, that's John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And we find out later it's ten days to be exact. But number three, why wait? To receive the greater baptism. <clears throat> to receive the greater baptism. John the Baptist water baptism. And, and you may have seen that. We are a Baptist church. We immerse someone completely in water. That's after uh, the, the, the initiation of John the Baptist. He was the one that, that began that. And all John's baptism accomplished was public identification of persons who have repented of their sin and they're waiting on God's deliverance, okay? So the, the, the water baptism is simply a public sign that an individual has made the confession, I am a sinner, I am deserving of the judgment of God, and I am committed to God's help. Whatever help that may be, okay? Because at the time John the Baptist was baptizing, they knew the Messiah was coming, but they didn't know what his work fully meant. What would he be accomplishing? How would he be delivering them? But it's just simply a, a, a recognition of sin and then a, a stopping of saying, I need God's help, whatever that may be. Uh, what I need you to see is, no matter how determined the repentant person is, they still cannot ultimately change their life in a way that merits the favor of God. Where God goes, you don't need deliverance, you don't need salvation. The best thing that repentance can bring you to is when you turn around and you go, I have nothing, I come empty-handed, I just recognize my poverty, I recognize that I'm destitute, God help me. So where does the help come from? Where does the change come from? Where does the power come from? And this is what 
Jesus and the Father have spoken about and promised to you. It is a spiritual baptism. It is where we are immersed in the Spirit. This is metaphorically, okay? I'm not saying this is something that happens visibly like baptism. This happens invisibly. The Holy Spirit comes and He is with us. And He helps us to actually live a holy life and proclaim the gospel effectively. Only spirit baptism can truly change our minds, our, our thought patterns, our ways of thinking, our attitudes, our perspectives, our inclinations, our uh, reactions, our hearts, our affections. All those things, we might be able to nudge a little bit, but we cannot change them. The Holy Spirit is the one who is ultimately responsible for changing a person's entire life. Now, it may not happen in a day. Like I mentioned, the process of sanctification is lifelong. The Holy Spirit will work on you to the day either Christ returns or you see Him face to face. But the point I want you to see is this, is that the Holy Spirit is responsible for transformation. Only the Holy Spirit can transform us from hateful people to loving people to uh, uh, people of rage, to people of forbearance and patience, of people who have this abysmal outlook on the circumstances of life, to people whose joy is found in the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. There's no amount of preaching. There's no amount of Bible study of, or prayer. Those are means that God uses. But the actual person, the agent who changes you, is none other than the Holy Spirit Himself. In the Old Testament, here's where we're privileged in the, new, in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down at various times and would imbue people with, with power, just a particular person for a particular time. He did this with Moses, David, Gideon, Samson, and Ezekiel. And they were empowered to serve God and others in unbelievable ways, in ways that they could have never done in their own power. And what I need you to see is what God is making available to you and I is that self-same Holy Spirit that empowered them and raised Jesus from the dead. He is saying this, when we repent of our sins and trust Christ as our Savior, that self-same Spirit comes and abides with us, remains with us, stays with us to do the things in our life that we can never do. And I'm not talking about these grand uh, visions and dreams. I'm not saying that God can't do that. I'm talking about to become the husband and wife that God longs for us to be. To have the marriage that God longs for us to be. To be the family that God longs for us to be. Things that we take for granted, that we think are easy, we know in human nature they're hard and difficult to take care of in our own power. And the Holy Spirit is working in us and willing, to, willing in us to become the people that God longs for us to be in our everyday lives. I have found I'm more impressed the older I get, not with these crazy signs and wonders that people claim to do, but when I see a young man who exhibits self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's a miracle. When I see a person who's harbored bitterness all their life and they go and they forgive somebody, that is a miracle. That is aid by the Holy Spirit. 
We are seeing signs and wonders when the Holy Spirit changes people, takes cold, dead hearts, and makes them alive to God so that they fervently love Him and love others. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Jesus commands you and me to be baptized with water. That is the way we publicly identify with repentance, with our faith in Christ, and with His church. All of us are commanded to be baptized, but I need you to know this. Water baptism can never give you the Holy Spirit. Just getting into a baptismal pool will not fill you up on the inside. Some have a spouse that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, they must prove themselves worthy by intensity of purity, devotion, or prayer. But what I want you to know, I don't find that theology in the Bible. We cannot earn the Holy Spirit. Just like we cannot earn forgiveness of sin, we cannot earn the inestimable, inestimable, infinitely valuable gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice how I have phrased each of the truths and ideas from this scripture is we receive the Father's promise. We receive who Jesus has spoken about. We receive the greater baptism. Have you noticed this? The Holy Spirit Himself is the gift. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Do we need to wait like the apostles are commanded to do? No. No, we do not need to wait. We no longer have to wait on the Holy Spirit as the original disciples. This is a book of history and theology. The apostles did have to wait. And on the day of Pentecost, God gave the Holy Spirit to the church corporately and to all believers individually. I need you to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has already been accomplished. It happened in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit is residing on the earth, working in the earth today. Listen to what Romans 8 9 says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you... Now notice this. He's speaking to Roman Christians. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to Him. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also were sealed in, in Him with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. I need you to see this. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a Holy Spiritless Christian. Now, it is possible, according to the New Testament, that you can grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. You can stifle the work of the Holy Spirit when we do not yield in obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, when they repent of their sins and trust Jesus alone as their Savior, the Holy Spirit will never leave or forsake us. So you can't say things like, I don't have the strength or the means to do God's will. If you have the Holy Spirit, and by faith you do, then you have what it takes to go and do what God wants you to do. So let's get up and let's get to work. We receive the Holy Spirit at conversion through repentance of sin and ultimately faith in Christ alone. 
Every believer receives this Holy Spirit the moment he or she receives Jesus as the forgiver of their sin and the God of their lives. At that moment, the Holy Spirit is with you, period. So repent and believe Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. It all happens at once. The apostles had to wait to receive the Holy Spirit before they could do the Lord's work. That shows us it's impossible to carry out His work in our own power and strength. The early church's enemies referred to Christian believers as those who turned the world upside down. The early church did this. They turned the entire world upside down in one generation without a single media consultant, a church growth seminar, management strategies, or slick presentations. They impacted the Roman Empire and the entire known world without buildings, buses, or budgets. John Stott recorded this from Ignatius of Latakia. Without the Holy Spirit, God is far away. Christ belongs to the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is merely an organization. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. Worship is evocation. And Christian action is slave mora uh, morality. Our preparation, our training, our knowledge, our experience, our eloquent sermons, our elaborate ministries... They are all useless without the Holy Spirit. If the apostles needed the Holy Spirit, we do too. We do too. If we want to turn our world upside down for Jesus, we must depend on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to ask you today that if the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin, He's pointed out the truth that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He alone is righteous. He, he alone offers forgiveness in His name. And that one day you'll stand before Jesus in judgment. God raised Jesus from the dead and you will stand before Him as the righteous judge. And you're ready to repent of your sin, to change your attitude about what sin is. That it's not something to play or trifle with. But to run from it and then run to Jesus and to give your life to Him. If you're ready to do that today, I want to lead you in a brief prayer. I want to teach you how to pray to Jesus. Jesus is God. He is not dead. He is alive. Again, He is invisibly present with us through the Holy Spirit's work. And you can call out to King Jesus right now and be saved and the Holy Spirit come and change your life. And if you want to do that, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. You can repeat this after me. This prayer does not save you. Jesus saves. But call out to Jesus. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I deserve judgment and hell but I believe you love me. You came down for me. 
You lived a perfect life. And you shed your blood and died on the cross for all my sins. And I believe God raised you from the dead. Please forgive me. Grant me eternal life and baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.